confessions, and removing hindrances is what I'd like us to look at as we have come together unitedly to pray. Indeed, I join with a hymn writer who indicates prayer is the soul's sincere desire uttered or unexpressed. The motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast. Prayer is the burden of a sigh, the falling of a tear, the upward glancing of an eye when none but God is near. There are groups of people who claim to be so religious that their prayer is just a sign the sign of the cross. And some have a string of beads. But you and I have come together to pray and your prayer may just as well be the upward glancing of an eye. It is looking that by looking that one can also pray. There, there's a group of people, and I won't call their names, but you will know them. They believe in going to confessions. And they have a special part or room set aside in their church where confessions are made. They also have sins categorized. Mortal sin and venal sin. And yet our God calls it all one word, sin. And it is our God who says, your sins and your iniquity has come between you and I. It is indeed a wonderful thing when we come together to pray. We haven't come just as the world, you might put it, to confess. But we come like David did in Psalm 51. And I'd like to read from Psalm 51, if you want to turn with me, if you have your Bibles. Psalm 51, and reading from verse 1, <clears throat> and the psalmist says, Have mercy upon me. And every time you see that word mercy, it must take you to a place, back in the days when there was a place called the mercy seat. Because the mercy seat was that place in the inner sanctum of the temple where the blood of the sacrifice was sprinkled. To us, our mercy seat was Calvary. 
where the blood of our blessed Lord Jesus was outpoured. And the psalmist, way back before the actual event of the Lord Jesus dying at Calvary, he was making a plea for the blood. Because without the blood there is no mercy. And what I noticed about the psalmist is that he got real down personal. He did not point to anyone else. He said, have mercy on me. And until God's people get personal with God that way and say, Lord, it is me. Have mercy on me. I plead the blood on me. According to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. You, God, do a work. Blot out. And I'm so glad that when God blots out, it's blotted out. It's not there. It is that kind of position where God can use his people and bless his people. The psalmist continues, wash that church down the road. No. Wash my neighbor. No. Wash that brother that I think isn't right with you. No. The psalmist says, wash me. And the psalmist was very specific and so detailed. He didn't stop there. He says, I need a thorough washing. Wash me. Thoroughly. From mine iniquity, personal word mine, and cleanse me from my sin. That's what the psalmist wrote. He didn't come like some church people come and say, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. But he came saying, I acknowledge. And that's where the Christian comes to God and, and exclaim. You see, sometimes when you want to talk about being cleansed, you would go to 1 John 1 and 9 and you would say, if I confess. And that would put away completely the fact that when he saved us initially, the hymn writer puts it beautifully, all my sins were laid on him. It was all forgiven then. All. Past, present, Future. 
And if there be anything that comes intervening, then I acknowledge. You will notice those church groups who goes to their church, to that special room, to confess. They have to keep going. But the psalmist says, I acknowledge. And he continues, against thee and thee only have I sinned. And then he made a plea. He says, purge me. Now, washing denotes an outward, but purging denotes the inward. Purge me with hyssop. And you remember when God would have taken the children of Israel out of Egypt, the instructions were that they should take hyssop, dip it in that cleansing agent, the blood, and put it on the doorpost. Hyssop, that bitter herb that normally does an internal work. Purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Do the washing. And he went personal. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. And then he says, make me to hear. Because ever so often, we don't seem to be hearing him. And then he goes on and he says, you do a creating work. Not me. I'm not the one that's doing it. You and I may wonder why God or why the blessing isn't flowing among the people of God as it ought. It is because of hindrances. In the book of Hosea, chapter 7, and verse 1, it reads, When I would have healed Israel, Ephraim's sin was discovered. God doesn't discover stuff. He sees and knows everything. But the word discover means it was made open. And he continues in that book of Hosea by the prophet saying, in verse 13, of Hosea, he continues by saying, 
You have fled from me. And you have spoken lies. And he continues in verse 8 and he says, Ephraim, you are like a cake that is not turned. Of course, when they made cakes, you see the top side and it looks so good. But in plain words, you don't turn it over and that bottom side is burnt. And God looks at his people in our day. And he sees a cake not turned. In Luke chapter 15... And when you start reading from verse 11, it tells us of a young man who had everything in the house. And on his own volition, by his own choice, chose to go off into a far country. And when you read the portion, it tells you he wasted his substance in riotous living. But when you read it, it will tell you, it says, and when he came to himself. And I'm so glad that God's people have reached a place where they have come to themselves. They have realized that on their own, they are not where God wants them to be. And they have come They want to come back to where he wants them to be. Because the prodigal son says, I know I'm not where he wants me to be. Where father wants me to be is not where I am. But he says, I will arise and go to my father. And some may look at it as a confession because he formed and coined his words carefully. And he said, I am going to say to my father, I have sinned against. Notice he didn't say thee, but he said, I have sinned against heaven. And until God's people reach the place where they realize that any sin is first against heaven. The prodigal son came to himself, and that's a wonderful thing. But when you read it, it says he arose. And so many times God's people have come to themselves, and they have sat where they are and not moved. In order to enter into the blessing of the Father, the individual must not only come to yourself, but get up from where you are and get back to the Father. And though he went to the Father, 
And he made what he thought was his confession. The father didn't seem to even listen to that because the father was long time looking out for him. The word of God tells us he saw him coming in the distance. He saw him afar off. And I'm so glad when I read Luke 15 about that father which points to our father. It says the father ran. A running father. Run to where he was. You and I can't get to the Father until he runs to us. And I tell you, he's running toward us. And he embraces. And he kisses. And he puts the robe on. And he makes a declaration. My son. But it only comes when the individual have that consciousness that I'm not where I ought to be and I want to be where I should be. It doesn't come until the individual gets up and goes forward to the Father. I think of the days when we had all night prayer meetings. All night. And when you see the the sun coming up, the dawning of day, you wonder where the hours have gone. Because there are so many things to pray about. And it should begin with us. In the book of Jonah chapter 2, Matter of fact, I'll go to chapter 1. Because God spoke to Jonah. Jonah, the servant of God. Jonah, that God chose. Jonah, the, the man that God had given a responsibility. And the songwriter puts it beautifully. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jonah, that God had entrusted with a responsibility to rescue the perishing and to cure for the dying, when God gave him the responsibility, he did what? He disobeyed. And when you and I disobey God, it would seem as if that's the end of it, but it's not the end. Because God did not just rest because Jonah disobeyed. But God acted. He disobeyed. And this merciful God took him all the way where he thought he was going. Prepared a special vehicle to carry him. The fish God prepared, the word tells us, in chapter 1. And Jonah went and found himself at the place where God wanted him. But you will notice in chapter 1 he acknowledged to the mariners, It's me. 
It's because of me. I am the hindrance. I am the reason why the storm is raging. He acknowledged. And God, having heard his acknowledging, took him in a fish prepared and brought him to the place. And after Jonah had carried out his responsibility, we come to chapter 2. And we hear Jonah praying chapter 2 and verse 4. And he says, I, not my brother, not my sister, but I, will look again. And the word again denotes that there was a time when he had looked before. And he's saying, I'm going to look again. And until God's people look again, get back to that place, Return unto him. The blessings won't flow. I must be quick with you this morning. But I want to take you over to Second Chronicles chapter 7. Because it is laid out so clearly there. Verse 14. If my people, and I'm so glad that when God has given birth to a people, even though they may have sinned, he still calls them his people. Like the father in Luke 15, though his son had disgraced him, he still says, this my son. And God, after Israel had done so much and had gone away from him, God continues to call them his people. And may I say to you, how did they become his people? They became his people by blood. By blood, he chose them. If my people, which are called by my name, and time would fail me to go into all of that, but he says, if the people will humble themselves. Do you know what hinders the blessing? Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God seeks humility in his people. How does one humble oneself? By falling down before him. 
And child of God, don't ask God to, make, to humble you because you don't want to have that experience. You do the humbling. Humble yourself in the mighty hand of God. If my people called by my name shall humble themselves. And then it continues. And pray. And that's what we're doing. And pray. I'm so glad that there is prayer available. I'm so glad that there is a mode, there is an attitude that we can communicate with God. It is called prayer. And he continues, and seek my face, looking to him. But it continues, because one needs to turn. And turn from their wicked ways. Then he says, will I hear from heaven? And I believe that God waits for the turn to be made. God waits for, for his people to humble themselves because there is a hindrance when you don't humble yourself. Two men went into the temple to pray. Luke 18 and verse 9. One of them was clothed and shrouded in religiosity. And he stood and he prayed with himself. And he says, God, you know me. I fast. I give to the poor. I, I, I. But the other one didn't even as much as lift up his head. But he smote his breast. And he called on the blood of the mercy seat. He says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the word of God tells us, both men left the temple. But this man who looked toward the mercy seat, left just as if he never sinned, justified. God is about to do a work. God is beginning to do a work. Among his people across America and the world. And when you and I fall before him, humble ourselves, Seek his face. Pray. As Jonah puts it, look again. The songwriter says, where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? You and I will see him do that work that we want to see take place among his people. But let us pray. 
Let us humble ourselves. Let us turn. And God runs to his people. Embrace his people. And does his work himself. Amen.